What's up, gentlemen? So on today's episode, you are absolutely going to love it. We've got my friend David De Las Morenas, who is more commonly known as How to Beast. He runs a crazy successful YouTube channel. He's going to talk a little bit about YouTube, how we got started, the evolution of not only his channel, his businesses. We're going to talk a little bit about YouTube drama, which apparently is everybody's favorite topic. Guys, you guys are going to love this, and I can't wait for you to meet my friend, How to Beast. Gentlemen, welcome back to the Alpha M Podcast. Today, I've got a very special guest a friend, a fellow YouTuber, and uh, somebody who is absolutely killing it in the fitness game. He recently launched a new Beastly app. He is a best-selling author, which we're going to talk about a little bit, of four amazing books, and uh, just an overall great guy, and here producing incredible YouTube comment or con- content that is just next level in terms of quality, shot, cinematography, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. Today, gentlemen, we are welcomed, or we... Please welcome, let's see, I told you I'd butcher this, uh, our, my friend David De Las Morenas from How to Beast. Did I get your name 100% or what? You nailed it. That was perfect. Yeah, yeah. All right. So, so th- what, what nationality are you? So my dad is from Spain. All my family still lives over in Spain, southern Spain, Sevilla. So that's, the, uh, that's where the long last name comes from, yeah. Oh, man, it's super cool. So, so David. You are blowing up on YouTube. Um, you know, you've been doing this now for since like 2014. I went back and, and watched some of your earlier videos and my God, like you look like, I mean, in five years, like the, the transformation is unbelievable when you look back. Not only have your videos gotten a lot better, but I mean, you just, you look like you've grown up over the course of the past five years. Um, you and I have something very similar in common. We both attribute our confidence and basically fitness with changing our lives. You quit your job as a, what was it, software engineer or, Mm -hmm. right, software engineer to actually get a certification as a a personal trainer and actually embark on a fitness or fitness as a career. Tell everybody a little bit about your story. I'm sorry for monopolizing this, but you're you're an interesting guy and, and I just, I love your story because it resonates so much with myself and how I got started. So tell everybody your story from your perspective. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, growing up, sports was kind of the main thing in my life. The second thing to that was really, I guess, video games. Or I like to build computers in high school. That was like one of my hobbies when I wasn't playing basketball. And, uh, you know, I think that led me to the, actually, I majored in economics, but I did a lot of coursework in computer science internships with uh, software companies. And that led me to getting the job as kind of a software implementation engineer. And I just really didn't enjoy it. At first, it was challenging. You know, I had to learn a lot of different. Um, SQL was kind of like the, the language for, for anyone out there who, who's into software. That's the language that I coded in or scripted in. And kind of after the first six months, I felt like I kind of learned, you know, the main things that I had to do for my responsibility. And once the challenge disappeared, I just felt exhausted having to go to work, you know, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m., sit behind my desk, kind of pretend like I was busy. I, you know, when you're working in a corporate environment, like, a lot of times you can finish your work kind of quick, but you still have to be there physically. And I would, I started kind of building my blog on the side, you know, pretending like I was doing my work at work and like starting to build a blog. And I just decided I wanted to do something else. At the time, my cousin had recently got his personal training certification. I was becoming obsessed with working out. That was like what I would look forward to after after work would be, you know, driving home, sitting in terrible Boston traffic, sipping on my pre-workout and going to the gym. And, uh, I decided it wasn't easy for me because I kind of left a lot of money on the table. Software is a lot, a lot better paying job than personal training, where nothing's really guaranteed. <laughs> and uh, what, what my friends and family. What, what year was this when this happened? 
so I graduated 2012. This was probably 2014, uh, into 2013, begin 2014. And that's when I decided to make that leap and give personal training a try. And, you know, even though that ended up being the ultimate thing I ended up doing, I think taking that leap and kind of trying something different is ultimately what put me on the path to, you know, to where I get to, to where I got today. So I was kind of attribute that decision as the starting point. And so what, what made you start filming yourself and, and putting YouTube videos up? Was it something that you thought about for a while before you actually did? Were there videos that you have taken down um, for, you know, your earlier videos? Because the one that you put up there, it was like six bad habits that men do or something. I'm on a rooftop in Boston. Yeah, 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 yeah. Boston rooftop. There you are, <laughs> you know, looking all young, talking about, you know, things that guys, you know, do that, that we shouldn't do. That was a pretty, pretty consistent like it was it was it was a well shot video and you were pretty comfortable it seemed like in front of the camera was that your first video that you had ever put online or, or what was that story? no so like i said dude while i was doing personal training um i kind of started messing with with blogging that was back when blogging was like a popular mm -hmm. thing to do and was it the how to beast blog or was it something else yeah it was how to beast it was how to beast.com um, actually, a funny story is I, I changed the domain to borntobulk.com for a little while because I was getting really obsessed with fitness. And I, after a few months, I realized it was not close to as catchy or good of a name. And I had to like pay to get my domain back because it went into some like domain arbitration or something. That, uh, but that's a side story. And uh, born to you know, bulk, I like, I, I like it, I like it. It's not, it's not as I, how to be is better, but yeah, that was. Yeah. I thought that's what I wanted to do, but then I was like, ah, I can't just do only fitness content. But while I was blogging, I started getting really into watching YouTube videos, and I definitely had a few videos that, that I took down before that that were kind of just me reciting blog posts to the camera. Even though the first few videos that, if you look at my channel, my oldest videos, those are basically the same thing, kind of like reciting blog posts that I'd written. Um, and that, I mean, for sure I was not completely uncomfortable on the camera on that first video. I wouldn't say I was a hundred percent comfortable, but yeah, the first videos were really bad and I kind of wish I had left them up in retrospect. I took them down probably three or four or two or three years ago when I really started consistently uploading. I think I was a little bit embarrassed about them to be honest. Yeah. Mine, but now mine, I always mine yeah. too. I, I've taken a lot of my early ones down and I wish yeah. I hadn't. Um, yeah. You know, just because it does sort of like chronologically show you the progression, because that's the thing that I think a lot of people, when they think about starting a YouTube channel, one of the things is 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 fear of not being perfect, or they'll they'll film themselves and they're like, you know, oh God, I I I'm so awkward, I'm this or that, and that is something that holds a lot of people back, the fear of of, of not being perfect. And I tell people, I'm like, look, you get better. The more you do it, it's like anything, right? The more you know, you're a basketball player. The more you shoot three th free throws, you know, the better at it you get. The better, the more time you're in front of the camera, you sort of find your sweet spot. And I think that you have definitely found a sweet spot in a niche, in a world and a a, a sea of of um, you know of, of of content creators that are a little bit more basic, a little bit more like like what I do, where I'm just in in front of a a, a wall and I'm doing jump cuts and and that's that you have taken it to another level in terms of the cinematography. And so talk about how and why you know, that sort of evolution happened. Like why did you decide, you know what, I'm gonna make this like super sexy because with that comes the inability to crank out content as quickly and as fast as a guy like me, a guy like Jose Alex Costa where we just have a backdrop and we're you know, shooting because you, you used to do that but then you sort of took that leap. Talk a little bit about how you create these these beautiful cinematic sort of almost like mini movies for your for your channel 
Yeah, so when I got started, I kind of did make this a similar format where I would just stand and talk. And if you watch a lot of the beginning of them, none of them have, even have cuts in them. I would just sit there and talk for 10 minutes with zero editing, right? I basically just uploaded straight to YouTube. Um, that's not when I was consistent. You know, 2017 is really like January 2017 is when I made the decision like I want to take YouTube seriously. Though my blog had kind of just plateaued for the last couple of years that my income had plateaued for the last couple of years. And I was like, I need to try something different rather than grinding out these same products to my same audience size. And I was like, I'm going to that's when I invested in a, a camera. And was like, I'm going to do two videos a week. And at first, they were still very similar videos to, you know, one spot talking. But then I, I think I've always had like a a desire or like enjoyed making videos back whenever we had school projects and like middle school and high school me and my buddies would make like funny videos uh, obviously they, they didn't have like crazy editing but i the more I, music videos back there which we're going to talk about <laughs> yeah we can, we can get into that, that. <laughs> yeah so i think i started enjoying the process of editing just as much as the process of filming or maybe even more and then i kind of had the idea like what if because right now my channel or at that time my channel was very similar to you or jose or you know where it's kind of just you know men and self-improvement yeah, yeah, topics yeah. to the camera but i was starting to consume a lot of like casey neistat or peter neistat. mckinnon or even just yep. like you know max Chuni or christian guzman and they have more of these like their videos are kind of a day in the life and they usually have like a storyline and i was like what if i combine the cinematography and the entertainment of that with the information from the type of videos i'm doing and at first, they were kind of rough where there'd be like a really bad edit in between me talking in one place and the second place. But little by little, uh, they evolved. And I've always had the mindset, like I want to make each video, you know, incremental, incrementally better than the last video, whether it's my on-screen presence, whether it's the music selection, whether it's the, the speed ramping and the drone shots or like whether it's the drone shots themselves. And I think I just really kind of enjoyed and dove into the process of of like planning out and editing the video and trying to make it like encapsulated into like not a you call it a mini movie actually it's like it's like a little storyline for the day yeah yeah absolutely so but you now have a video a, a videographer that that helps you make these what, what yeah. is the process now so actually recently i was using them a lot it's kind of right in the middle of of covid and quarantine i guess we're still kind of in the middle of it but i'd say more in like April, May, June. The last couple months, we've been traveling a little bit. I've been really caught up with Beastly um, and improving that. And, and also, we just hired another employee. So lately, I actually haven't been using them. But when I used him, it was basically just for like the intro sequence where, where I, you know, I like to start my videos. Not all of them, but a lot of them with like a cool edited intro sequence with some music mm -hmm. that kind of like sets the scene for wherever the video is starting. So I was having him film and edit those just because... You know, if if I do that, and I I did that like yesterday, for example, and my fiance Julia, luckily she she's got to go with the gimbal, she can help me film mm -hmm. those, and I can edit them. But that still turns into at least an hour of filming and maybe two hours of editing for a thirty second sequence. So the idea was to have him do that. Plus, it gives me accountability because I don't know about you, but if on filming days, a lot of times. I'll sit around and procrastinate doing like emails and small tasks until like 2 p.m. And then the way I film my videos, I don't finish filming until like midnight at that point. So with mm -hmm. him, I'd be like, all right, we'll meet at 9 a.m. And that would also just give me some accountability to get started yeah. early. But lately I've been busy and I haven't used him as much, unfortunately. So, so talk a little bit about, because this, this podcast is a little bit more entrepreneurial focused. So when mm -hmm. you started your blog, how were you monetizing it? Was it by the, the e-products or the e-books that you were writing? Um, I saw the first one I believe you did, it was how to write, like, it was like write a book, make money or something to that effect, right? Talk a little bit about, about that process and, and 
talk a little bit about you know just the action and process of writing a book and ebook and getting it published and becoming a number one bestseller like super quick. <laughs> so yeah, so talk a little bit about that. So at that point, I was vlogging and I, I really thoroughly enjoyed the process of writing, which I've kind of lost the passion for. I guess video making has kind of replaced that. Um, but at the time, I was uh, reading. I don't know if you know James Altucher. Uh, he's a he's more like he does some finance stuff. He he does different things, but he was preaching a lot. Like self publishing was a very uh, profitable way, and he was someone who had been I think published traditionally by you know a big publishing company, mm -hmm. but talking about how self publishing was a you know, very profitable through Amazon and Kindle, and I kind of did it as an experiment. And I think the the first book I actually wrote there's there's eight or nine of them, but some of them probably don't don't show up that much on Amazon anymore. The first yeah. one was called like The Simple Art of Bodybuilding and I released it as a free book and it still got like 5 or 6,000 downloads. I didn't really have it too many people following the blog at this time. Yeah. And even when I changed it from free to like 2.99, I was getting like a couple hundred dollars a month from Amazon and I was like I didn't even try to market this. Like I mm -hmm. I I posted it on like the bodybuilding forums or something, but it's like organically getting traffic. So I kind of Dove into that for a few years and uh, really, A, I, I guess, enjoyed writing books on different subjects, but also I kind of dove into trying to figure out the, the, the Amazon, how to get your products or your books like organically rank high on Amazon. And basically, I'd launch a book, the very short, very short strategy I would use would be I'd launch a book for free, I'd blast it to my email list, my blog, my social media, get, you know, I don't know, 500 quick free downloads. Then that would allow it to get uh, visibility organically. It would also allow you to get, you know, I don't know, 20, 30, 40 reviews. Uh, mm -hmm. And then you change it to $2.99 or $9.99 or whatever the price was at the time. And because it was getting so many downloads, it would start to show up on the bestsellers list. And then now people who are organically just browsing Amazon, they say, oh, this is a, a men's health bestseller. It's got, you know, 35 star reviews. And then it would kind of get picked up organically through Amazon. Tell me this, if, if you don't mind me saying, what, what book has made the most money? Of all my books? Yeah, yeah. The Book of Alpha was the one that, that made the most money. And, and it's, it's gotten, that was probably the third or fourth book I, book I published. But it's gotten significantly more competitive, and I, I, I haven't even been involved in that for the last four years. But from the point I started to the point I stopped, it had gotten significantly more competitive, and it's becoming a lot harder to rank. You had people, I think, with bigger following starting to try that same strategy. So how um, so how much money when you were you know when that was like your full time thing or primary source? Of, I, I assume that at some point that was your primary source of income when you were getting things rolling with YouTube. What would a what could what would you make in a month? So at that point, I was, I was personal training part time. I was writing the blog and the ebooks part time, and I actually was doing some software consulting part time on the side. Um, so I'd wake up and from like seven a.m. to noon, I would or seven a.m. to 10, 10 a.m. I'd work on the blog and the books. Then I would log on to like the software job and you know work for three or four hours, and I'd go to the gym for like eight hours until like basically they closed at like you know eleven p.m. or something. Yeah. Um, so there was different, I had different revenues, I guess, different sources sure. of, of income sure. is what I'm saying. I think at the height, when my books were selling the best, I was making maybe like a, a thousand a week. And that's with a very small wow. blog following, which, you know, but, if you, but shit, 4,000 yeah. bucks a month is like real money, right? That's, I yeah, mean, yeah. That's, that's more money than honestly, the majority of people in this country make in a month is, or a year, you know, if you extend that out. Well, that's pretty in, in, incredible. When did you see the real shift in YouTube in terms of 
of was there a point at which you're like, wow, this is really going to work and this is what I'm going to focus on? Was there some like instance or some situation? What was it that made you realize, okay, this is where the future is going to be for me? So like I said, beginning of 2017, I was like, I'm going to commit to two videos a week and I actually have not missed a single week since, since then, almost four years now. And probably, I want to say a little more than halfway through that year, August or so, so eight months after starting, I had a few videos and these were kind of the, the videos where I haven't done these in a while where I'd be out in the street approaching girls with me and my yeah. buddy or me and my fiance and, uh, and a few of those caught on after the fact and kind of went viral after the fact and then all of a sudden I was getting like I remember I was we were me and Julia were in Toronto traveling and I was like I've gotten a thousand subscribers a day for the last like three days and then that's unlike any I guess response I'd had before and that that ultimately is when I was like all right this is something I need to put even more effort into and see you know if I can cultivate this even further so since then recently um, you've launched an app Talk a little bit about the app, first of all, and then what was it like? Like what the process of actually building something to this scale and this magnitude, what went into it in terms of, you know, the, the, the technological like end of things? Like, did you hire a firm? Like, talk a little bit about the app because the app, it's a, it's a fitness app. Um, you can go to uh, beastlyapp.com, right, to grab that thing. And um, it's, it's all about helping guys basically avoid the three main sort of things that prevent you from making progress, which is accountability, not tracking your progress, and what was the third one, David? Help me. I think it was just consistency. Consistency, that's what it is. So, yeah. so but, but, but it's not just that. Like this app is, is honestly, like I've tried a lot of different fitness apps. Your app is like, if not the best one that I've ever seen, just because it really does, it really, you feel like you're involved in the process. You know, with the with the pictures and and the diet and just everything that that goes into it, and so you've done an amazing job at building something that I really feel is going to help a lot of people. And so, talk a little bit about the process of you deciding, okay, this is what I'm going to try to do, and how long did it take? Like, what was the process behind the app? So I've sold every year or two. I've kind of like refreshed the fitness programs that I've sold, and at first they were PDFs, then they were kind of like a members only website, which is essentially just like. You know, a video course that has, you know, Excel spreadsheet for tracking progress. And I always, the feedback I always got was like, oh, it'd be cool if I could, you know, basically log my weights in an app instead of having to use like Google Sheets app on my phone or something like mm -hmm. that. And so when I was getting to the point where I was like, all right, it's been about two years, you know, we need to kind of create the next iteration of fitness programs. Um, I was starting to play with the idea of an app and then I ended up getting an email from, uh, a company that basically creates apps for influencers and at first I was going to go with them because they make it super easy there's no initial investment they, but then they take you know like 30% of your profit or something like mm -hmm. that and I made a video saying you know that's kind of what I'm planning on doing and then I'm sure this happens to you too and you mention things in videos people all of a sudden they reach out to you and a few uh, app development firms reached out to me one of them in Germany I talked to them a few times and they uh, they were the ones who built it, right? And what I really liked is that they built it from the ground up because there's a lot of influencers now who have their, you know, their apps, but they're basically like this white label. White box. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. 
it's the same platform and they just put your logos on it, your color scheme, and they'll put your workouts in there. But then when I was like, okay, but you know, I'd like it to be able to track your macros. They're like, ooh, wow, you know, we launched it, see how it goes. I like, but I want it to be able to actually track your weights in the gym. You know, ooh, we don't, I don't know if we can do that at the start. And it was, I was kind of consistently, anything that wasn't already in there, they, they didn't want to do. And when I talked with this, this German development team, they're like, yeah, we'll build it from the ground up. And, uh, and it was, I mean, it was a, to be transparent, it was a fifty thousand yeah. dollar investment. Um, it took him probably six months or so to build it. You know, the last couple months being a lot of testing and feedback. And um, but I was able to include every single feature that I wanted. I so mean, fifty thousand bucks—that's a lot of money, right? And yeah, that, that's yeah. a scary sort of undertaking, right? Yeah. I mean, but what what was the what was it like? Why did you decide like, okay, this is the investment. This is the next step. This is what I have to do. Like, well, because like- essentially it's a platform for me to release new programs and meal plans for, I mean, I don't know, for the next few years at least. And at that point, maybe, you know, I just have them do like a rehaul of the app. It's, a, you know, essentially I'm building a platform. It's not like I'm putting 50000 into releasing a fitness program. Mm-hmm. Um it, the, because the, it allows me to constantly push new updates and we've already pushed new programs. We now we've added women's programs, more men's programs, more meals. Um, and we constantly kind of add new features based on user feedback. It, now it makes sense to be a subscription model, right? It's not just a one-time fee because there's constantly being updates and upgrades. It's almost like a, a Netflix model type thing. And, and in my head, I did the math, you know, how many users do I have to realistically get over how long to, to, to pay back the initial investment and, and it came out to why I thought I was going to be, you know, okay, four or five months very conservatively, we'll, we'll pay back mm-hmm. the initial investment. And I actually ended up being wrong because we offer monthly and yearly subscriptions. And so many people purchase yearly subscriptions up front that within the first like three hours, I think we paid for the, uh, for the app, which was amazing. <laughs> um, but for sure, it's scary. But I mean, I feel like one thing, and I'm curious your, your thoughts on this, one thing that, that served me well as I've continued to grow is whenever I have an itch to like, yeah, this seems kind of scary, but you know, maybe this would be a cool product or a cool video or a cool, whatever it is, because you have multiple different uh, companies that, that you've started. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of have the mindset now, like, uh, fuck it, let's just give it a shot. You know, like, it. It se- yeah, yeah. What's it seems the worst like thing this- that happens, right? <laughs> I mean, that's, that's it. That's absolutely, that is a, uh, you know, the thing that I fear now is, is regret. Um, one, of the, one of the traps, though, is, you know, try, I think that a lot of YouTubers, a lot of people, once you sort of find a formula of, of you know, whether or not it's making money or doing something, you, 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 I think it's very tricky and it's a balancing act not to chase every dollar or what you see as possibly easy money. Because there's, you know, once you, and this is just for the people watching, once you develop a, a, a following, you know, you are approached with offer after offer after offer versus, you know, opportunities here and opportunities there. And, oh, I can make you this and, and I'm going to help you do that. And really being true to your vision, being true to sort of yourself and your audience and not trying to bite off too much and more than you can chew. Um, I've, I, I get reached out, you know, contacted all the time about, oh, we could start a membership website. And oh, all you need to do is get X number of people and you're going to make $100,000 a month and it's going to be, and it's like, you know, you can't chase every dollar uh, because ultimately, if you do, you're going to lose credibility. You're also going to, I think, go crazy. Plus, you know, it's really frustrating. You know, you don't have, you know, 30 hours in the day. We all have 24 and how you use it, how you choose to sort of allocate that time, which is the asset that we can't get more of. That's the thing that you really need to pay attention to. So I want to talk about 
drama on YouTube a little bit, David. <laughs> because recently, um, you have been, you have been, found yourself in sort of the, the middle of a little bit of a drama situation. Um, you have mm -hmm. been very forthcoming on your YouTube channel about your use of, of TRT, which is testosterone. And um, it wasn't necessarily something that medically you needed to do. It was something that you did. Um, I assume that, 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 you know, one of the reasons primarily was because of the pressure that you feel being in this fitness industry and space, there's tremendous pressure to look a certain way, to, you know, to present yourself in a, in a certain manner. And that is one of the things that I, I worry about for a lot of the people that are creating fitness content is you know your body your you know what happens if you get hurt what happens if you can't work out what happens if you know you just don't want to go to the gym in 10 years from now every day and look a specific way and so i think that finding a sort of a balancing act in terms of of figuring out how to make money off of you know your your knowledge your your information I think is incredibly important because your body is something that you really ultimately don't have 100% control of over, you know, long, long term, long range. But you are very forthcoming about your fact of the fact that, you know what, I started TRT for, you know, I wanted to, you know, feel better, I wanted to look better, I wanted to make, you know, significant progress in the gym. And so you've been very open with your audience. But recently, there have been some some fitness guys that have, have been talking about it. And, and one guy, uh, Greg Doucette, you know, he was not, I mean, he does the same thing, right? He, and so he mm -hmm. is very, I think he's a fan of yours and, and he was, you know, doing some videos. He's done a few videos on you talking about it. But then there was another guy who sort of, you know, went after you, um, you know, in terms of, you know, being fake natural and this and that. And you responded, right? And so one of the hardest things about being a YouTuber, and this is, you know, not poor YouTube people, or anything like that, but it's very difficult because YouTube gives people the platform to say whatever they want, and you've got to either, you've got two choices. You can take it and ignore it, or you can respond. But it's an incredibly vicious cycle when you start to get into that trap because YouTube, you know, unfortunately, we are in a society that has become very toxic, and YouTube has become incredibly toxic. The quickest way to sort of grow a channel is to start talking crap about other people and, you know, honestly, it, it, it's not going to go away anytime soon. And so you decided to actually respond, which I thought was, you know, admirable. I also thought that it might be a tactical error on your part because it perpetuates, you know, this, this cycle. What was your thought process going into that? And, and why did you decide that, you know what, I'm going to take a, take a second, make a video and address this? Because honestly, David, there is no winning in these situations. That's what I found anyway. But, but what was... No, it's like having a... a yeah, go, go ahead, finish. No, it, it's just, it, it, it's, it sucks because that's one, it's one of the hardest things to, to have somebody say things that are not true about you in such a public forum, forum and to not be able to respond or to be able to respond, but you know, or at least I do, that you know what, I can't respond to this because if I do, it's going to A, give them more attention, it's going to perpetuate this, and the truth is that, that people have a very short attention span, so it might suck for a little while. I made a mistake. Video I did, and, and I learned this lesson the hard way as well, right? I did a video talking about why movement watches are better than Rolex watches, right? And it was a tongue in I thought the video was supposed to be like this. this I thought it was funny. I thought it was funny, but I, I didn't realize 
that people weren't going to A, get it, or that there were going to be certain people that were going to use it, not as a you know, tongue-in-cheek sort of you know, joke, but hey, this is what he's saying, and it is because he is trying to sell movement watches, and you can't trust this guy. And so I put that video out, and right away there were people that were just like slamming me, and I can't believe him, and what a piece of shit, and all this. And I had a guy, Teddy Balbazar, that I had done like an interview with before. You know, he had like 5,000 subscribers. And I thought, he, he reached out about the situation. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go and just explain that it was a joke. And I was just kidding. And, and this is, you know, what I was talking about. And this is what I meant. And I assumed that everybody would be like, oh, cool. No problem. You know, thanks, Alpha. No big deal. Well, he came at it from the angle of, I'm going to basically act like I didn't know it was a joke. And I'm going to attack his credibility. And he went as far as to pay people um, to actually, like this guy, Archie Luxury, he paid somebody $20 to come on and like ask me a question and basically call me a piece of shit. And I mean, it was an absolute horrible, horrible, horrible experience. And I thought, I should have just kept my fucking mouth shut. And I, I know better, but, but I did it. And that was a very, very painful learning experience because um, it hurt. I mean, it hurts anytime somebody says or talks trash about you. But you decided to respond. David, why the hell did you respond? <laughs> I know why, but I mean, tell the audience. I, mean, I went back and, yeah, I went back and forth on it a couple of times. But, and, and, you know, to, go to your point, I think it's kind of like arguing politics. Like, with, when someone is such a, has such a hard stand on something, like, regardless of what you're going to say, they're just going to find a different way to interpret what you're saying and still believe the same thing. But ultimately, I, I just responded because there was just like straight up lies, right? Like, I don't mind if someone makes a video and has their opinion and disagrees with me. That's fine. It doesn't bother me at all. But if someone's like telling people who are partly in my audience, they're like, oh, like really selectively choosing clips and taking them out of context and just creating this false storyline. I mean, obviously, it bothered me to an extent that I was like, okay, well, I just want to set the record straight. And... I think I did so in a, in a very a very clear way, and all the comments on my video that I dropped all basically agreed and were like, "Yes, this clears it up." Or, or most of them even were like, "You didn't even have to do this, right?" We 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 knew that was uh, that was not the truth, but I do think that it cleared it up for some other people. Obviously, the guy who made the video on me then made a follow up video, which basically restated what he stated, except instead of yelling about it, he like more calmly <laughs> said it. But um. Uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's kind of a, like you said, it's kind of a lose-lose situation. Part part of me also replied, and this is more of like a YouTube creative reason for replying, because I uh, the, the type of video that I'm doing that we talked about where I have kind of a day in the life with, with uh, advice mixed in, I've done so many of them, and I'm at a point now where I'm also want to experiment with different video formats just to, just to make sure I keep evolving mm -hmm. and challenge myself to keep evolving because I've gotten so comfortable creating that type of content. And to me, this also presented an opportunity to kind of a creative challenge in the sense of, okay, how am I going to tackle this video? You know, and it, then it also became, you know, now I'm editing clips of other YouTubers in there versus the clips that I said. And to me, that also presented a little bit of a creative challenge. But yeah, for the most part, I, I just kind of wanted to set the record straight and be like, you know, this is what he said. But if you actually watch the clip in the original video, then like that's not, that's not, where, that's not where, actually where, where true. Where do you draw the line? You know, that, that's kind of the question, right? Like he does a response yeah. video then to your video saying other things that aren't true. And, and there's, that, there's that, that knee jerk reaction is I, I gotta respond again. What, where do you draw the line, I guess? And, and is it because, well, obviously here's the other thing. I mean, the truth is, is that they were both big YouTubers. And so um, that doesn't hurt in terms of doing a video 
you know, I mean, drama sells, right? And so, you know, in your mind, you're like, you know what, I'm going to do this and it's going to get a lot of views because, you know, these people have a large following in your demographic, in your space. And so it was going to be kind of like a win-win, right? You're going to talk about it. You're going to set the record straight. You're going to get a lot of views. Um, so, so, so you, so it was a good decision for you. Yeah, I don't, I don't regret it good. at all. And I think you're right. I mean, the video didn't get like a tremendous amount of views. I'd even say it got pretty average maybe slightly below average views but i do think that those views were from you know partly from those other youtubers audiences yeah. and i think it probably did, did draw some of them in so i don't regret it um i told myself after i made that one like I, i'm just done now the last video i uploaded like it wasn't a response video but to me i kind of used something that was said as a as a launch pad to, to discuss another subject yeah. I, I understand and i knew when i did it some people would still you know associate it with the drama but in my mind, that was more a decision like this is relevant and I like starting my videos with like something to hook people yeah, in. Yeah. And I think this is just like it's more of an effective hook to discussing a topic I want to discuss anyway. Sure. So, I mean, I'm for sure not going to be uploading any more videos about it. But uh, but yeah, no, it's, it's a it's a tough line to it tell is, for sure. It is hard, man. It is so hard. <laughs> like there's not uh, it's so frustrating, too. Um, you know, and it's 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 hard. Uh, it's funny because the same YouTuber did a video about me. And you know he was bitching about it was so funny because in my video he's talking about I did a video three times talking about how to get a better looking butt. I want to say you've done eighty seven thousand fucking videos about how to build a bigger bicep and you're bitching about me doing three yeah. about have a better yeah. looking butt. And then the other thing that I thought was really funny is you know complaining about me selling things and then in that exact video he's selling a pair of jeans that he's an affiliate with. I was like, I'm like, okay. I mean, I think, yeah, we don't have to say his name, yeah, but yeah. like clearly in, from his, his video on you and his video on me, there's just a lot of very like incongruent, obvious things that like, oh, I'll say his I name, mean, I'll but, say his name. Yeah, his name's yeah, Scott Herman. Yeah. And, and, and it was, yeah. it was funny because I used to actually look up to him when, uh, when I started, same, when I same. started YouTube, man, he was like the first, like he was like the king. He was, um, you know, he was doing really great content and, you know, I think that he's fallen into the trap that a lot of us do, where it's, you know, your, your views might not be where you want them to. And so you realize that if you talk trash about people, um, you can, you can, you know, end up, you know, getting a lot of views and, and you know, views are, are make you feel good because when you put out a video that doesn't do good and you don't get good views, it makes you feel really bad. And so, um, you know, but it's funny because he has something on his channel about no drama, just real good advice. So you might want to scratch it's out all that. Drama, just a little yeah. drama. But anyway, um, you know, and then in terms of respecting him now, definitely has lost a little bit of that, the way that he uh, goes about things. But you know what? Hey, yeah. you know, it, it is what it is. And, and uh, I used to be a fan. But anyway, so enough about it. It's the same, man. I'm, I, don't, I don't like to, like, as a rule, I don't really like to be angry or have hate towards other people yeah. because then it just, like, serves as a distraction in my own life. But um, yeah, for sure, lost lost respect. Talk a little bit about about the future, David. What are you doing? I know you're getting ready to move from Austin to Houston, correct? Mm -hmm. And uh, you're building a house, which is very exciting. It's also it a is. pain in the ass. <laughs> yeah. And when I was, is, yeah. it was funny because I because I uh, I built a, a, a house recently, and I was watching your video. And, and you're talking about the cabinets, and they could go all the way up. And I'm thinking to myself, I wonder what he picked. How are the cabinets in the kitchen? Are they going all the way up, or are they not going all They're the way up? They're going all the way up. Good man, We're good man, good man. I'm <laughs> proud of you, um, because it's going to look a lot better. But anyway, so, yeah. so you're getting ready to move. You've got some big things on the horizon. Talk a little bit about the future. Like, what do you look for You know, five years down the road? You've, you've been doing this now for about five years, a little longer, and you've had some incredible success. 
Where do you hope or, or see the next five years? Is it, is it more apparel? Is it more fitness apps? Is it, is it you know, transitioning to something else? Like, what, what do you think you're gonna be doing in five years? I try not to look that far ahead. Uh, you know, I, I prefer to focus maybe on like the next six months or so. Six months, but what is the it? Okay, I mean, the general, obviously moving to Houston is part of it, moving into a house. Um, but in terms of the, the YouTube and the businesses, I mean, to continue making good YouTube videos, but I, I really do want to be able to have a greater focus on the businesses. So but both scaling the Beastly app up, um, you know, beyond even my direct audience through the use of advertising, but also just, you know, I think I need to in incorporate it even more organically into all of my content. Um, for sure, the, the clothing edge is... Uh, we need to scale up the quantities we have like ridiculously because we sell out every launch and like it feels good and like you don't you know you never really like risking that massive of an investment but at the same time you can't grow if there's not constantly you know uh inventory for people to buy you know that talk talk a little bit about yeah. actually let's talk a little bit about that yeah. because that is a different huh. method of of selling right there's this big thing um where like uh, i think christian guzman has done an amazing job. Uh, probably, I don't know where he got it from. Maybe it was Jim Shark. I don't. I don't know who started this, but it's this whole idea and premise behind. You know, you basically build up the hype, build up the hype, build up the hype, and you do a launch. And the there's so much. The idea is that there's so much anticipation, there's so much hype, there's so much demand that you sell out really quick. And so one of the things is you actually don't order. Like it's actually not necessarily a good thing to have leftover stuff for people to come in and buy buy later right having it, it's it's all about that launch and just basically making your money and moving on but with that and a lot of people do it you know jose does it at, at essentials you know you you do it uh max tuning does it you know, there are a lot of people doing it talk a little bit about the mindset and why you choose to do it that way as opposed to the uh the standard way where you buy inventory you've got sizes it, it's a business that you have you know monthly sales and and you know annual sales goals in that in that manner uh, so i mean i think that initially the the justification would be that it's a smart way to scale your business right if you very simple example if you have i don't know 500 units the first launch and that sells out you're like okay well now we can try a thousand units oh that's sold out. now we can try 1500 units okay that's sold out and, and it allows you to not i guess risk losing a massive investment but obviously once you've had a sequence of successful launches, now you have a pretty good expectation. Um, it also becomes like a supply chain question because ideally I don't mind having consistent launches, but then each launch, it needs to be designed, which is not an easy process. You have to first uh, order an initial sample and that's gonna, you know, you pick the, the material, the different seams you're gonna be using, the, you know, the size chart, the, the length of every little measurement on, on the shirt or the pants or whatever it is. And inevitably when you get that first sample, there's gonna be some altercations that need to be made. Maybe the material shrinks a little more than you think. Maybe you just messed up the size chart. And it's, these are generally are coming from overseas. So it's not like, oh, we got the good sample, first sample today, we can get the next one tomorrow. You know, there's uh, weeks in between each of these steps. And then once you actually finalize a sample and put it into production, you know, it's at least gonna be like a month in production. And then shipping, um, depending if you ship uh, through the air, through the sea, it takes time. So like right now, if today I come up with a new idea, I'm not going to be launching this product three for months. four or five months yep. probably. Yeah, three months. Three months probably is a, would be great. Yeah. I'd be super happy with three months. Um, and that means that if you're going to do this launch model, that means that you consistently need to be designing the next launch or 
that you're just going to have this massive dead space where you didn't design the next launch, where you're not making any profit. So I think that it depends on what business model you want. If you don't want to have super consistent launches, then you need to have larger quantities that don't sell out. So I can still in between there be running ads or in my videos being said, you know, we still have all these shirts in stock and you will get a drip of sales. Obviously, mm -hmm. the, the, the spike is going to come from launch. But if you sell out, it's a spike and that's it. And if you have large spaces in between launches, you'd like there to at least be like a steady a steady stream because you're still making a, a profit yeah. on, on each item. Obviously, with clothing, it's... The margins aren't insane. How do you handle the fulfillment and the returns, the customer service end of things? I know that when I did apparel, it was it was tough because you know sizing is such a tricky thing. Returns, like, talk a little bit about that real quick, if you would. Yeah, that's why I wouldn't really recommend anyone get into an apparel business because <laughs> it's, it's not clean. It's like the, it's the least clean business yep. model. Yeah. Yep. Um, uh, we have a warehouse that, that's out of Memphis that, that does all of our, they receive our, our large uh, our bulk orders from overseas and they warehouse them and they ship them out and that works great. Returns, we've had them doing the returns, but inevitably when you're relying on like a, a warehouse to do returns, um, you, sometimes you, they, they don't notify you right away that they got the package because it wasn't labeled correctly or they accept an item that maybe shouldn't have been accepted. You, like they're What they're good at is shipping things out right and they're very quick and they have great shipping speed and, and it's amazing but i think that um one thing we're gonna have to do is is hire someone else to start processing the returns because um and then we can bulk ship them back to the warehouse after we've kind of done the quality assess assurance but uh it's it's for that's a pain in the ass right either no matter how you look at it it's a pain in the ass how do you deal with customers that are super pissed off that they think you know they they <laughs> it, it it, I mean, I imagine like you get it back and it's like, no, it's perfect, right? It smells like cigarette smoke. It's got cat hair on it, like whatever, right? And, and so, you know, we live in an age of reviews and this is something where, mm -hmm. you know, everybody's got a voice. In the old days, like nobody would yeah. know if you had bad customer service or if there was a customer that was like super fucking pissed. How do you handle that? How do you handle these people that are pissed off that you won't give them their money back? Uh, you know, I don't, I don't have a perfect answer. I don't know if I've been in the game long enough to have a perfect answer, but for sure, I'll, I'll give repeat customers the benefit of the doubt and just be like, you know, we'll take the loss on this. If it's someone's first order and they're causing a massive ruckus, I, I might take a harder stance. I mean, I'm not the one doing the customer support anymore, but that's kind of the, the precedent that I've set. Like, you know, if this is their first order, they're causing a pain in the ass, you can just tell them to go screw themselves, basically. If, if, if assuming that they're clearly out of line, they send something back that, you know, the tags have been ripped off, there's a hole in it, and it like, obviously, we shouldn't we shouldn't have to burden have to take that burden now if they've had seven orders with us yeah. and like they messed up once well we value repeat customers right like that's mo the majority of business and any business comes from repeat customers mm -hmm. so uh, we'll take a loss there because it's obviously it'll be a long-term profit still but that i'd say that that's maybe this, this a small way to make a distinction yeah man customer service like like they took me <laughs> off of customer service for all my businesses a long time yeah. ago because we were smart it's like you want to get because i'm like no way f you you know and and no no that's a problem the person we just hired because i've been doing some of the customer support for the beastly app because it was a new yeah. thing that we didn't have someone necessarily assigned to do it and when i was onboarding them and showing them the emails they're like you can't be sending customers can't these say emails. This, no. like, they're, 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 they're fucking wrong exactly, though like, I just, exactly. yeah. the customer <laughs> is not always right but you can't actually tell them you can't wrong. have the owner of a business yeah, responding. Yeah, no, it's, you, we take it personal. So, David, tell me where everybody can find. Tell the audience where everybody can find you. 
how to beast instagram youtube those are the main two platforms uh like you said beastlyapp.com is where, is where the app is at but how to beast all yeah. right david hey man this was really a lot of fun i have have been rooting for you ever since i saw your sort of videos pop up in the recommended feed i'm like who's this how to beast what and uh it's been really amazing to watch you grow to uh to see your success and 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 to actually get to know you and so you know hopefully when this whole COVID thing you know clears up i can come down and, and hang out with you down in in uh in houston when you guys actually move and film a few workout videos i used to i used to i used to work out a little bit and uh i still i still love it and attribute you know fitness to changing my life the single best decision i ever made was to start exercising at 12 years old and um it's been the one constant that i've had in my life ever since then and um i truly feel that that there's nothing that will change your life like like getting in the gym, taking care of your body, and, and lifting weights. And so thank you so much for all that you do for all these guys, and, and thank you for just being an inspiration to not only you know millions of men out there, but also to myself. And so, David, you're a rock star, brother. Thank you so much for being a part of this, and I'll talk to you soon, okay? Yeah, thank you, man. I'd love to get a workout in soon. And, uh, you no, know, I don't want to work out been, with uh, you. I don't want to work out with you. You guys oh. look too heavy. I'm old. I'm fragile. <laughs> <laughs> Shit hurts now. I just, well, 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 we'll hang out soon and maybe get a little... <laughs> maintenance. I'm all about maintenance, brother. But but thank you so much for everything, man. You're an awesome dude. And uh, I hope everybody goes, subscribes, and checks out your stuff. Yeah, thanks for having me on. You've been a massive inspiration along my journey as well. So I appreciate that. Thanks, dude. All right. See you guys. Gentlemen, thank you for listening to this episode. As always, I appreciate your support. Once again, if you found this episode or any of the content I've put out in the past helpful, please leave a rating and review on the platform you're listening to this on. Once again, every week, we're going to read out and feature a few of my personal favorite reviews. And if you're looking to upgrade your sunglass game, don't forget to check out Enemy.com. Honestly, the quality of these glasses for the price is insane. Just read the reviews. Gentlemen, stay awesome.